Alrighty, teaching others also, 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 18 at the paragraph mark. As we've said before, we don't want to overlap so much that it just becomes laborious for people. So we're going to pick up the context. If you have been reading 1 Samuel, that's good. These are specifically Bible studies, primarily expository. They're not exhausting because exhaustive because we don't want them to be exhausting. However, we will keep going, and if you want to catch up by by studying the rest the earlier uh, sessions, that'd be great. Now, verse eighteen, Samuel is with Eli. All the things led up to it. Samuel being a special one, and an answer from to for uh, Hannah from God. It says. <clears throat> well, verse 17, wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. And then as is, is the case in many places in your Bible, that very first word introduces you to a contrast, okay? But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with the linen ephod. We mentioned this last time that the picture is that he has on the basic work shirt of those who labored and ministered at the tabernacle. It would almost look like, say, a modern day type of plain t-shirt. It's an ephod. And these kind of garments were a Far Eastern practice. What people don't understand is when Noah gets off the ark with Ham, Sham, and Japheth, you had Ham who settles Africa, that continent. You have Japheth who settles Europe and, and beyond. And you have Shem who settles the East, Middle East and Eastern. And so these are all customs that are associated with, at the core, how God taught his people to worship him. How he taught them to dress before him. How he taught them to show his, their respect to him, etc. So Samuel is a child, but he's beginning to learn it. Now, I'll tell you something. Every generation needs young people, young men and women, who are different by virtue of their loves and their lives and their labors. That could be a whole sermon in itself. It could be a whole message. It could be a series of messages, honestly. You go over, over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you could dwell in there for quite a while, and I trust some of you will. But every generation needs this. The, the problem we have right now, one of the great challenges in October of 2022, is that their percentage-wise is less and less of it. Now, there's a couple dangers with that. One is, if someone comes along, a young person, I mean, young person, we'll just say, could be in their teens, but we'll say 20s and 30s nowadays, then the people who respond sometimes are in danger of really promoting a novice. And Paul warned not a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride, fall into the condemnation of the devil. The reason is that it's wonderful to be appreciated. It's not safe to be told how special you are. There is nothing special about a person who gives themselves to God. 
there might be something rare in the context of the whole population, even in the context of Bible-believing Christians. But there's nothing rare, nothing special about it. It is, it is the logical result of receiving the love of God on Calvary, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We love him because he first loved us. And so here is Samuel, and he is the beginning of a different generation. Verse 19, moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Samuel had a godly mother. Uh, she aided him in serving God. She did not hinder him in serving God. She did not try to draw him away from serving God, from giving his entire being to God Almighty, from, from giving himself to God in the tabernacle. Praise the Lord when a parent, a mother, or dad, especially these mothers, and you know, mothers and sons can get close to the point that, uh, you know, it it becomes and it endangers their relationship with God. To be honest with you, so each year she brought it to him from year to year. He's growing. Could be like when I was a kid, even within my generation, when you first got a pair of jeans, you had to roll up the cuffs while you're working around the barn. In those days, everything shrunk and you grew. It wasn't unusual to get a pair of shoes or a pair of boot, work boots or cowboy boots and buy them a little big and put, you know, paper towels or newspaper in the toes of them till your feet grew into them. We weren't rolling in dough and there wasn't a great availability at times. Samuel had a godly mother. She aided him in serving God. The picture, of course, and an application is grown in grace. He says to be clothed with humility. So this garment was a little coat. She brought, she, mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year. So throughout the year, while she's making a coat, she's praying for him. She had other children. The Bible gave her other children and blessed, blessed her with it. So Samuel's here in verse 20, Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, the Lord give the seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord and they went into their own home. Now it's a pretty special thing for Eli. His boys are a mess. We're about to read the better part of half and another chapter on this, on this issue. And the Bible says in verse 21, the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. So she did not get back a hundredfold, which would have been another child. A hundred percent is a one-to-one -one return, okay? She got a 500% return on her loan to God. Verse 20, and we've already talked about that previously in our things about why it says lent unto the Lord and a loan. So the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived, verse 21, bear sons, three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. So she gets 500% interest on her loan to God. I mean, you cannot beat God's plan of giving. Now, if you're giving to say, God, I need 500% back, that isn't how it works. She gave to God without having anything back. And the purpose of God's house, the purpose of our dealings with the house of God, the purpose of our dealing with the Lord in our everyday life, our giving, 
you know, in our, in our su- surrender, our submission, uh, some would call it sacrifice. The purpose of that is that we would grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You could write down Ephesians chapter 4. Now be careful. Most of you live in the Western world or Western culture. To Japheth, growing is getting bigger. Growing is make more money. Growing is have more stuff. Growing is is measurable. In God, growing is grace. Growing the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be careful of thinking that bits and pieces or even volumes of so-called knowledge is the same as growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's knowing Christ. In verse 22, now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto Israel and how that they how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now you don't really need to take anything any further. Let me say this. When you're dealing with church, with Bible, with testimonies, with witnessing, limit your talk and your descriptions to the manner in which the Bible speaks. The Bible did not go, need to go into any more detail to know that this thing had become extremely corrupt than to say it the way he did. We don't even need to belabor it. We know that it has been one of the, it's a scourge of any business. I mean, I, in the last six months, there's been business people. There's been sports leaders. There have been managers that have, have taken the same type of leverage in what they do as these boys did at the tabernacle in religion. And I know that many are offended at things like, say, gay pride and all that kind of stuff and, and you know, all, all those extremes. And they're wicked. But please remember this. Americans have become desensitized, and many of you in other countries have become desensitized to the simple things of, say, fornication and lasciviousness and uncleanness. And you don't seem to consider that a perversion. And that is because people have become totally accustomed to it. They've become to where they have lost their, you might say, conviction. Now, it says here that Eli was very old, and and old age is a dangerous time. Old age can become too tolerant and passive. Now, I know. Now, listen. Old age can become cranky, but that's another whole lesson. Please, if you're 60 or 65 or 70 or 75, please don't think it's your right to be cranky and to be negative. If anybody should be showing the, the positivity and the faith of God, it's the person who's lived the longest and, and, and is saved. So religion itself can become lascivious. It can become uh, carnal. It starts by feeding small desires, fleshly desires. Listen, sex is a God small g-o-d, in the world that we live in, and especially in the marketing Western world. Pleasure is a goal for people. It's gotten to the point where emotional and physical satisfaction has been so emphasized that people are obsessed with it. 
So Eli hears what these boys are up to and really don't need to describe it any more than that. They are wicked. They are sinning. You say, does this kind of stuff happen today? It sure does. Have you known it to happen in church environments? I sure have. And many of the times people, they almost become numb to it, but we shouldn't be. Verse 23. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. So he is rebuking them, but he should have put them out of the ministry. He could still love them if he wants to and pray for them, but he needs to put them out of the ministry. Verse 25, If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father because the Lord would slay him. Now, that means that what God did was he said, I'm going to let you go to the end of your rope and break your own neck. You ever heard anybody talk about that? They're not talking about hanging the person. I'll tell you one picture that really does happen in life is when you're starting or breaking horses, uh, you can rope that horse. And if that horse is just dead set on having their way, they can literally get to the end of that rope, they can flip themselves over backwards by fighting it, they can snap it, they can break their neck. And that's where that phrase comes from, from livestock. When you sin against God, there's only one defense, and that is atonement. Even Job mentions in Job 9.33, he refers to a daysman, that is a representative, someone who can deal with the case. So God allows, like he did with Pharaoh and those others, God allows hardened hearts because they would repent without tears otherwise. Now, in verse 26, and the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. So there's always some who will desire spiritual things. You know, I think one unfortunate thing that I was exposed to, and, and I was, I want to stop and say, I thank God for the Bible training I got. I thank the Lord for it. I thank God for the Bible training I got. I thank God for the ministry training I got from the old timers, several of them. But one thing that I've seen amongst Bible believers is they don't see the spiritual side for the most part of the Old Testament. And I must say to you that I, I honestly I honestly get concerned because if you take the life of David alone, forget Abraham, Noah, and Joseph, but if you take the life of David alone and you read the Psalms and you read his life, you can't miss that those people had a walk with God. Now, your Bible does say that Enoch walked with God. It does say that Abraham was a friend of God. But all through there, the everyday people did. Hannah had a relationship with God. So this child is growing and he's gaining in favor with the Lord and also with men. You say, well, how do you gain in favor with the Lord? It's not by sacrifices, okay? It's not by how much you can do or not do, etc. It's by following God. Now, the next passage, it says, there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him. <laughs> now, Eli means my God. It means God is my God. So this man is an angel of the Lord. And we find that term all the time interchangeably. If you want to write this down, write down Judges 13, 
chapter 6, verses 8 and, uh, well, actually 13, 6, 8 and 9. Okay, just write it down. Because when this fellow comes, he's, a man, he's described as a man and he's described as an angel of the Lord. That is because in your Bible, just mark it down, put it in your mind, and then look for it. Don't fight it. Don't try to hyper-explain it. Don't, don't lose the forest for the trees, brother and sister. But the appearance of angels, what you see of them is always male. They are not like us in eternity. They're not given, married and given in marriage. They are male in their appearance. So this man of God comes and said unto him, thus saith the Lord. So this is a message from God. Okay, and this is an angel of the Lord preaching to him. You know, it's enough. It is enough that the Lord knows your name. Samuel, he's grown in favor with the Lord and with men. God knows Samuel. He knows him. Okay, and it is enough. So he said to him, did I, verse 27, did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father? when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? You find that offering thing over in Deuteronomy 18. Let me, let me pause here for a moment. It should be a special privilege to be part of the serving, ministering priesthood. In the, Old, in the New Testament, we are made priests and kings under our God. Okay? So we have in the New Testament what is called the priesthood of the believer. But you also have in your New Testament, and Paul makes it clear, you have those who are called to minister in the same manner that they ministered at the tabernacle and at the temple in the Old Testament. So it is a special privilege to be in the serving, ministering priest, priesthood. And you need to guard against and be totally on guard against a spirit that says otherwise. You say, well, what do you mean? Listen, when you get around somebody who acts like being called to the ministry, pastoring, evangelist, missionary, uh, associate, assistant, helper in the church, uh, music, whatever it is, if you find somebody with an attitude that kind of comes across as, boy, this is just a real sacrifice and this is just, you know, this is hard, get away from them. Stay away from them. If you're one of those people, you need to repent. You need to get right with God. It's a privilege. And he's telling him here, he's telling Eli, you know, your forefathers, those who went before you, I chose them, and it was a special blessing. That's why now in verse 29, he says, wherefore you kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering. Now, you kick as in, for example, kick dirt on something or kick dirt in someone's face. Or most likely also kick like a horse or a cow does when they're hobbled. We used to have a basic rule if that horse kicks you with his back feet, he's being disrespectful. Most of the time, if they rear up, they're scared. Now, stallions will many times strike with the front feet because they're being aggressive. But when they kick with that back foot, they're being disrespectful. 
And, you know, children, you ever notice children as a whole, at some point in their life, they'll often try that kicking and screaming thing when they're mad. Or, or when they get older, they'll stomp their foot. You know what I mean? You have different kinds. You have aggressive rebellion. You have passive aggressive rebellion. Passive aggressive is like a guy I had working for us, framing, and, and you tell him to hurry up with some two by fours, bringing them across the slab of we're framing, and he'd slow down as soon as you said hurry up. Well, needless to say, he didn't last very long. You don't need that kind of foolishness. The kicking, instead of kicking at the sacrifice and the offering, the kicking should have been by the Bible. I'm not judging Eli, to be honest with you. He just should have kicked his boys out of the ministry and put God first. And you have to do that. Now look, now look, not put God first as in some petty thing, not put God first as in some, you know, little petty rule or something. But we do have to put God first before our family and with our, our friends and or even finance the financiers of the work of God. We got to put God first. And he says, uh, wherefore, verse 29, kick ye at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I've commanded in my habitation and honors thy sons above me to make yourselves fat with the cheapest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Now, we don't find that Samuel was practicing it, but his boys were. And it's very possible, because he's very old, that he's eating at their table or whatever. So God is saying to him, look, Samuel, you've put the boys ahead of me. Now, I've been in situations, you know, ministry situations where a relative, a son, son or daughter, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, ended up being a, a cog or a hindrance in a given ministry situation in a local church or whatever because they got that order wrong. It's not disrespect family, it's respect God first. I've said this before, I'm, many of you have heard it, but you take those two commandments Jesus gave, love the Lord thy God is the first, he said, love thy neighbor as thyself is the second. You do not have to kick God out of your equation and your life values to get messed up or to offend him. All you got to do is take the two commandments and just invert them. Make number one, love your neighbors yourself. Love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. And then what happens is you go, well, uh, I can't really love God first here because I'm loving my neighbor first, but Lord, you're in here. And it turns everything on its ear turns it completely upside down. Well, what does God say? Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But, oops, here we go. These are one of those buts. Now remember earlier, it said, but Samuel. Look down there at verse 18 of chapter two. But Samuel ministered before the Lord. Oh, but this is a different one. But now the Lord saith. So God can change his mind. He always follows his rules and he writes them ahead of time knowing that he has to sometimes leave clauses in there. And he did. You see, God doesn't take rebellion and pride lightly. The key word there in your English is esteem. Watch. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me, shall be lightly esteemed. Now, slow down a minute. 
we live in the most upside down age of say the last 50 years, not necessarily the last 2000 or 6,000. Uh, the, the world was real bad when God destroyed it in the days of Noah. It's heading that way. It'll be as the days of Noah, Jesus said, but we're not there yet. In spite of what you think, we're not there yet. A lot of people are comparing the height of say the Philadelphia church period, but let me, may I say this in America, during the Philadelphia church period, you had intense violence and opposition to spiritual things. You had intense uh, animosity, enmity between the world, between the alcohol crowd, the liquor crowd, between the sex crowd. You had way back in the, in the days of Moody and Sunday and Spurgeon and Tory and all those guys, you had that. Before them in the days of Wesley and Whitfield and all those guys and the missionaries. So understand that when God says, and here's what I'm leading to, he said, I will honor, uh, I, but be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor. Someone says, oh, that's arrogant. If anybody else said it, just blatantly said it, it would be. But not when God says it. Somebody has to be the highest, the purest, the best there is. Somebody has to be. Well, we know what it is, who it is. It's God. It's the Lord God. It's him. He's the highest. He's it. So if God said that he would honor them that honor him, them that honor me, I will honor. They that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. When you talk about esteeming something, he tells us over in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, how to esteem. Now, our actions can change God's intended course. And this is when the Bible talks about the Lord repenting. This is an example. It isn't that he felt sorry for anything. He just said, okay, you have influenced my mind. I've got some messages. One of them is changing God's mind in prayer. There's several Bible characters that God was going to do something. And at the time it was judgment and they interceded and they made intercession. So God is, has had enough. And even though these boys have the title priest and Eli is the priest, the chief priest, it doesn't matter to him. God says, enough's enough. Verse 31, behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house. Now, he's not going to go up and take a sword and cut off his physical arm. Your arm is your strength. Your arm is your reach. Your arm is your power. Your arm is your influence. Uh, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house. So there shall not be an old man in thine house. So young death is considered tragic. It is not true that only the good die young. These two fellows die fairly young and they are not good. So each generation is supposed to receive the benefit of old men being around. And Samuel lives to be an old man. Uh, in a worldly sense, when you kill off young men, you kill off the name, the bloodline. And it is a proven fact that privilege often leads to foolishness. I mean, it's established that the percentage of privilege leads to foolishness. And foolishness can be something as wicked as what these boys are doing. So I'm not talking about just a few little pranks. So in verse 32, and thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation in all the wealth which God shall give Israel and there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. 
So God is about to cut off his family line when it comes to ministry. Now, <clears throat> they will live to see God's presence as an enemy. And in the past, there were times when the children of Israel did. It's a strange thing, but there was times when the children of Israel dreaded hearing from God. So when we look at this thing, they're going to view God's presence as an enemy. And he's saying an enemy is going to come in and take your wealth away. An indulgent parent curses the children. May not be uh, obvious at, at such, and if there's enough wealth to go around, it may not be that they're cursed financially. He said, verse 33, the man of thine, whom I shall not cut off from mine altar, shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thine heart, and all the increase of thine house shall die in the flower of their age. It pictures people dying in mid-bloom, early, a tragic thing for the most part. So now what we look at, we'll go on to verse uh, 34 and tie it together. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons on Hophni and Phinehas in one day. They shall die, both of them. Now, imagine, listen, Eli knows the Lord. He also knows he's got himself in a bad place. Imagine knowing your boys are destined to die. <clears throat> I mean, double deaths on the same day, that's, that's just a double, really it's more than a double grief. It's a multiplied grief, isn't it? Verse 35, and I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind. And this is what, he's, what God is raising up Samuel to be. Notice he said he'll do that which is in mine heart, okay, in my mind. And here in a little while, God has to make Samuel give those people a king named Saul because he keeps protesting and telling them, you don't want to do this to God. He said, I will build him a sure house. He shall walk before mine anointed forever. So the key to pleasing God is faithfulness. The key to pleasing God is, of course, we know faithfulness and obedience and they all go together. But the basic idea is faithfulness. God, God puts a premium on this and then he blesses with continuance. But he said, I will raise me up a faithful priest. You know, I have experienced and in training others to follow Christ in Bible Institute, well, training people in Bible Institute, I look at the small duties, the small duties in the church, small duties that, that you're doing in outreach. <clears throat> you can tell more. <clears throat> Here's what a fellow said. I'm going to quote him. You can tell more about a man in an hour of play than you can in a day of work. You say, why is that? Because people apply themselves differently sometimes. Haven't you ever seen the fella that leans on his shovel until he hears the boss's truck coming and then he just is all over the place? Everyone else has been steadily working and he's going he's gonna to get himself in a sweat. I knew a guy that would uh, splash water on his face to make it look like sweat when he knew the boss was coming. He could hear his truck. I mean, think about that. Verse 36, it shall come to pass that everyone that is left in thine house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and shall say, put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread. Now, let's put this in context. They're not just trying to freeload, okay? 
the Levites, Levites comes from the name Levi, okay? The sons of Levi, Levi and his sons were appointed to be a generation of priests. They had all number of duties. When there was a tabernacle and it moved from place to place for the 40 years, their responsibility, many of them, was certain parts of each thing, of all the tabernacle furniture, of all the coverings and all the stuff. That was their job. He did not give them an inheritance within the lands that he gave in the promised land to the other tribes. The Lord was their inheritance. So camping around that tabernacle at that time and rotating things, rotating their duties, it was like they didn't get to own anything, okay? And they didn't because the Lord was their inheritance. So the Levites and the priests were a generation who leaned on God for provisions. Now God called Samuel to his office, okay? He wasn't born into it. And so a great picture is there that a person should not enter into any kind of sacred ministry without a calling that is visible to themselves and to at least somebody close to them. You know, the world tests and examines people about all different things to be authorized. So should we. A school can't do that. A church cannot do that. In the Bible, in the New Testament, I won't go into this, it's about time to stop this session. And we'll do that at the end of this chapter. In the, in the Bible, okay, only men can ordain or appoint men. So in the Bible, a church can't ordain somebody. They don't even ordain the elders. The leaders ordain. It's a chain of command. I understand the issue. People get a little confused. Now, did they choose in Acts chapter 67? They chose who they wanted to represent them to be the servers of the tables, the deacons. But they didn't get, the deacons didn't get their authority from them. They, you don't authorize from the bottom up. That's how you keep a church from being run by sheer democracy. You said, well, if you don't run by democracy, how do you keep everybody straight? Well, first of all, you pray for your leaders. And secondly, if it's really absolutely essential, you vote with your feet. But most of the things that get people's nose out of joint shouldn't be an issue in a church. You should just pray about it and trust God. And he's saying, everyone that's left, verse 36, in thine house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver, a morsel of bread, and shall say, put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread. He's saying, I need a way to eat. I don't have any land of my own to plant and till. Okay? So the, the idea there, the picture is, that they're losing their calling and that they're going to have to get in by God looking at them individually and restoring them. And so he takes Samuel, who was not born into it, and he puts him in as the priest. Father, we pray you take this time that we've given and use it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.